0: Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast-creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth
1: stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Ashley Chia. I think many of us know her as Watermelon Egg Rose in her social media realm. And all the amazing roles she holds, mother, author, creator, homeschooler, she's always willing to share with whoever connects with her how to find our way when navigating them ourselves. We are huge fans of her platform, but more importantly, admire her and her husband Shia's journey of parenthood, and especially as they navigate pregnancy and birth as such a solid unit. We are incredibly thrilled to have her on the show. Hello, Ashley, welcome to
2: the show. Hi, ladies, thank you for having me.
1: Yes,
0: I don't even think thrilled is like the word oh we could be more than thrilled that's what we
1: are (laughs) (laughs) let me give you a word
2: (laughs) it's a a riveting moment
1: (laughs) you are elated (laughs) yeah all of it all of it
0: (laughs) so can you first start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family
2: Sure. Um, Well, my name is Ashley Chia, formerly Ashley Hinton. Um, I have been married for, it'll be five October, been together for 12 years. I have 11-year-old daughter Amira, three-year-old Azara, and two-year-old Asya. Let's see, I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, but I've been living in Los Angeles for the past five years. And I am a writer. Uh, I have a children's book, working on my second children's book, have a prompted journal coming out, and I'm currently pitching a TV show. So that is my daily focus. And then um, I have my Instagram and my blog, Watermelon Egg Rose. And I really focus on like just highlighting everyday life of a woman of color. Um, and I, when I originally started my Watermelon Egg rows, I used to actually interview just different women in different areas of life and that had different careers because I thought it was important for young black girls, especially to see the many ways that you can make a living and just, you know, live life in this world. I think when I was in high school, I didn't even know about half the jobs that, you know, exist and ways to just make an income. Um, and then I wanted to highlight Black women, because I saw on Instagram that a lot of white women were being celebrated for things that black women do every day and we've always done. But I think the thing that's crazy is that we don't ever think to celebrate ourselves for our basic things that we do because they're just a part of our normal everyday. And a lot of times we will see white women or other women being celebrated for things that we do in media platforms. And it's because we don't think to monetize off of things that we normally do. Do you know what I mean? Um, Just even in a birth working world, a lot of women have assisted with giving birth and it might be someone's auntie or you always know to go to this person, but maybe that person didn't think to go become a doula or a midwife or a nurse even. So I started really just showcasing that um, women gardening and we make our children's lunches and we cook home cooked meals and we do all of those things that everyone else does. And I just think it's really important for people to see that to know that that's not something that only exists in a white space, that that's something actually African women have created and taught their slave owners, which is why they know how to do it all And a word. That part. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why your grandma know how to cook chicken, because okay. <laughs> she got it from one of her slaves she owned. Okay. Okay, where so that recipe came from. That's your grandma. <laughs> right.
1: Grandma. <laughs> Mimi. Right, right, right.
2: Right. Right. <laughs>
1: anyway. Uh, okay. Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? And you can choose all three. Because mm-hmm. we know that sometimes they kinda all ebb and flow, even though they're different yeah. stories, they have connections. Whichever ones you want to share.
2: Okay. Um, well, ha- actually, It's interesting, within my pregnancies, I've been pretty fortunate to have very easy pregnancies in a sense that I didn't have any like medical issues. I worked out throughout um, my first two pregnancies throughout the entire pregnancies. Um, I only gained 20 pounds with each pregnancy and um, they were pretty, I mean, for the most part they were okay. I had morning sickness with both of them or all three of them, I should say, but the last two, it was really, really bad. Um, But the last pregnancy, because I had my children so close together, I had extreme pelvic pain. So I wasn't able to work out as much within that pregnancy. And I definitely see excuse me, and I'm aware of the difference between being active in a pregnancy and not being as active and the difference that could play in giving birth and just how you feel mentally and physically throughout your pregnancy. So my third pregnancy, I only gained 25 pounds, you know, your healthy weight, but I felt um, really uncomfortable, really heavy. I had severe, severe pelvic pain. My doctor um, for the last two pregnancies was different. It was someone who was on the board of the hospital in Anaheim. He's supposed to be really great um the hospital that i delivered at but he had zero bedside manner so my appointments were just disheartening because i actually didn't want to go to him again for my third pregnancy but because i got pregnant so soon and i didn't find out i was pregnant until i was about 20 weeks i didn't have time to find a new doctor so i ended up having to go back to the same doctor um he has like this great record of like you know women surviving their pregnancy c-sections but he just his bedside manner is terrible and even my appointments would be super quick and i would tell him like i have a pain here pain there he's like oh that's normal like everything was normal um to him he never really would pay any extra attention and to come to find out i ended up finding out afterwards that i did have um how do you pronounce i always say it wrong when your abs disconnect um uh, Diactus, rectus. thank you yes thank you Chad. Ooh, <laughs> Lord, <okay. laughs> so I, had I probably that messed it up, it, up too <laughs> no but it was happening in my third pregnancy because I even noticed um and just because you know your body, right? Because I was very active. I was a former you know, professional ballet dancer. I've danced my whole life. And then even just working out in general, I actually still could see my abs when I was pregnant with my first two pregnancies. With my third one, I noticed there was like a little bit of a bulge above it. And my doctor was just like, Every time I would go in, he'd be like you weigh such a good amount. Like you're not gaining that much weight. Your your body looks amazing. You should be happy. But you know your body, and you know when something isn't right. And I'm telling him like, no, there's something going on. Like I have this severe pain. I don't have a lot of support. I'm having a hard time walking and just doing general things. Um, he just didn't listen to me. And then even after having my third daughter, I was uh, I was bleeding so much. Like they made me stay in the hospital an extra day. I was really scared because. I was having like excessive bleeding. Um, And I think it all had something to do with whatever was happening to me while I was pregnant that wasn't paid attention to, I should say.
1: Did they say that you had like an actual hemorrhage?
2: So what's interesting is with both of my daughters, the last, I mean, with the last two, I should say, or all three of them, I bled um, within the first trimester. And Mm -hmm. with the first, with Amira, I don't know why I was bleeding. They never, um, when I, I was living in New York at the time, I went to the hospital like me and my husband had intercourse a little soon after i found out that i was pregnant and we weren't married at the time and then we had intercourse and i started bleeding so i went to the emergency room because i was scared that i was having a miscarriage at first they couldn't even find the baby because they were like incompetent and i have an inverted uterus so when you do an ultrasound you have to do it a little differently you push it down you don't Mm -hmm. just go straight in so the doctor didn't know to do that and he Had to call another doctor, and he's just standing there, like, I don't even see a baby. And then she is looking at me, like, This is a fake to pregnancy.
1: To <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and so. it begins.
2: Right, we're dating long distance. He came all the way to New York, like, Okay, like, <laughs> this is some Tom Fuller. <laughs> like, he literally was standing in the hospital corner looking at me, like, If you don't see a baby, it's like because the doctor's like, I just don't see nothing. I don't see anything. <laughs> like, And he's like moving his hand all around. And I'm looking like, I swear. <laughs> I did get my pregnancy test from the dollar store. Questionable. <laughs> it was a little questionable. I'm like, Maybe I, well, no I
1: don't know. I'm Girl, kidding.
2: i look up here. I don't know myself. Did I lie to myself? Um, <laughs> and then the other doctor comes in, and he literally pushes his hand down. And he's like, didn't you say she had an inverted uterus? He pushes his hand down, and he'd be here. There's the baby. And I was like, oh, hell no. I got to get out of here. Like At that point, I knew. I don't, he never even told me why I was bleeding. I just was like, I was—I I had no prenatal. You know, this is so crazy. I had no prenatal care until I was six months pregnant with my first child. I did not go to the hospital after that because I didn't trust them. He told me not to douche. I was like, "What is douching?" And I was like, "You mean douche?" And I was like, "Yeah, y'all are real incompetent in this hospital." I gotta—it's not the place. No, <laughs> and I'm so lucky that when I came back to Columbus. The, I almost didn't get to go see a prenatal doctor because after a certain amount of months they won't see you because that's a liability.
1: Right. So I was like
2: just under that marker, and I was ended up going to um, where did I go? Uh, Grant Hospital. They had like a clinic at the time. I was like young and didn't have much money and had government insurance, so they just send you wherever and you see whoever you get treated like however. Mm-hmm. Um, so that whole experience was interesting. But <clears throat> with my last two daughters, I did bleed in the first trimester, and they said that I had hematoma so there was just like leftover blood in there and that's what they said it was from but um i was having severe periods after this third child too like i'm talking about seven days like going through three packs of pads like they were heavy one thing that changed them is i Changed to cotton pads, and I had no idea like the toxins that were in pads. Mm-hmm. So, once I changed to a natural company, my pe- period literally over two my period went from seven days to four days. So, I don't know. I, and I, you know what? I never got a six week checkup after I had my third daughter. So, I don't know what's going on in there. I just something I need to address and <laughs> to go to the doctor. <laughs> Oh Lord. <laughs> like I'm still breathing, so i must be okay. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> while I'm sharing this. <laughs>
2: right. Actually, nine no so <laughs> right.
1: Notes. Now the truth A third kid will do that to you though. A third right. kid will be like I'm good.
2: right which is so terrible because like more than likely you are but like there's always those freak cases where you're like should I be going to the doctor (laughs) I don't know girl (laughs) oh
0: man um so what was your preparation for
2: birth what what did you and Gia do um, for that (sighs) so I really really wanted to have a home birth this third pregnancy a couple of my friends had them and I was just like after my second baby the doctor literally when i was pushing azara out told me to shut up so i had all three of my children unmedicated um but i did have pitocin so i had no medication with pitocin which is like that that stuff is just so unnatural and i am not i sometimes just want to have a fourth baby to have the experience that i know that i deserve and that I now have the proper information. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, that's not why you have a Absolutely, baby, but that's no. just the truth. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to experience that because I know better now. But um, I do have a problem not ovulating regularly, and I don't dilate, obviously, within my pregnancies. I went 40, almost 42 weeks with all three of my girls. My water broke naturally but I will stay at one centimeter for like three days. And you can't can't be like that with your water when your water already breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, So they always give me Pitocin to speed up the process. But when I tell you they give me that and it works in 30 minutes, I will go from one centimeter to to 10 in 30 minutes every single time. So it's just an excruciating level of pain. It's an unnatural process that your body's going through. And I was screaming and the doctor was just like, shut up, stop screaming and save your breath for pushing and I was like you know just that's such a vulnerable place to be in so of course I shut up but I didn't want to but <laughs> I'm right. gonna do it because <laughs> like you're standing right there you're gonna catch my baby and my husband was looking like oh my god what Ashley is he about to get like I don't know what's gonna happen so he doesn't know what to say or how to respond um so with the third baby I was like I don't you know I want to have the baby at home but my husband wasn't comfortable and so because he wasn't comfortable it made me uncomfortable because he's like so much of my partner when I had the other two, like he, he's such a good late. I was telling him like, you should go into labor and delivery. Like he's just a good partner. He held my hand. I'm on the ground, like crying, rocking back and forth. He's just like rubbing my back. He shuts up when he's supposed to shut up. He talks when he's supposed to talk. Like he's just like such a good support. And he was amazing. Um, and so I wanted to have that experience at home and have our daughters surrounding us and just have a more peaceful experience because the second time it was just so volatile. Like the doctor made me uncomfortable. Then the nurses became uncomfortable and it was just like awkward and tense in there and negative energy. Um, so he just could he didn't want to do it. So I did tell him like, I'm going to labor at home as long as possible until we have to go to the hospital. And then we did. And my mom came into town. My oldest daughter was there when I had, my second child and I wanted her to be there when I had a third, but my mom actually stayed home with her, and my um, second child, because I was laboring so long, it got late. And then it was just me and my husband in the room. And I asked the nurse to leave and she was like, that's fine. And I labored in the room the entire time by myself with my husband. And it was actually one of the most beautiful experiences ever. I played music. I had a playlist on, I was crawling on the ground, like just doing whatever I needed to do to feel comfortable. Um, so that was a really great experience, except for when it was time for me to push, my husband called, the doctor was like, it's time. And he's like, no, it's not. We just gave her the Pitocin 30 minutes ago. And he was like, yeah, we've been through this two times. So I already know it. You know, it's time for her to push. When she says it's time to push, it's time to push. And he wouldn't listen. He walked out the room. And then when he came back, it hurt so bad. I'm like, just give me an epidural. So he goes to get the anesthesiologist. He was like, I could give you, it wasn't an epidural. It was, um uh what not vicodin you know what i mean it was something else like that um it's a drug though Uh, like a painkiller maybe but something they should not be giving you when it's time to push so either way he walks in to give it to me no one ever checks me mind you no one ever checks me in the time that i'm telling them like it's time to push it hurts i know it's coming out and they're like no it's not it's too early And so they actually like, I wait another 10 minutes and the, um, the anesthesiologist comes in there to administer it. And this is like the most messed up thing that's ever happened. He literally gives me the drip for it. What, what was it? It's not, it wasn't, it's, um, I'll ask my husband, I forget the name of it, but it's a painkiller. It's really strong. It's a narcotic and he puts it in my vein and then he goes, Like, two minutes later, he's like, you're still screaming. I was like, nothing's happening. Like, what did you give me? He was like, the only time this doesn't work is when you are actively in labor, like the baby. He's like, it doesn't work after nine centimeters. And everybody gets quiet and looks at each other. And the nurse was like, let me check you. And then she checks me and she was like, oh, the baby's coming out. The head is there. And so they call the doctor. I'm pushing and the doctor is silent he's not saying anything and i'm like what's wrong is it okay like what's happening with my baby like and he goes well the last time you told me you didn't like the way i was speaking to you so i just didn't want to say anything this time girl i was like okay you were the most, for the petty ward you win okay. <laughs> I was just like who does that and i was like if you don't tell me what to do then you can get out the room and we'll send the bill to me so then he starts like telling me like push do you know but and my husband and i were just like we were so much shocked that he really like i mean he was like he was mute he wasn't saying anything it was the weirdest thing and all of the nurses like so after i had the baby when he came back in the room I went off on him. And when he left, the nurse was like, I'm so glad that you told him that because we literally have so many complaints about him. But I'm like, (laughs) how many people have had this negative experience? But like, that is, not how I'm supposed to give birth. Do you know what I mean? Like, and also, what if something would have happened? The baby could have just plopped out while over there trying to administer me narcotics in the middle of my, you know what I mean? Right. And it didn't even work. So they just put drugs inside of me and probably the baby for no reason because neither one of us were high or, you know what I mean? Like, right. whatever it was supposed to do. And the thing is, is, you're supposed to check people before you just start shooting them full of stuff. Make sure, you know, how far along they are. Can I give them this?
1: But no, there's, there's a few checks and balances that got missed there. Yeah, for sure. I
2: think I, would I was the like, only black client.
1: <laughs> I'd be interested <laughs> to know if that was documented the way you just told it.
2: You know, what? I, I wanted to tell. ask my husband um, to go back and ask for the records. And also what's interesting is I want to say six months later, I ran into the doctor at a um, sushi restaurant. Mm. And he was sitting at the table behind us. And when I tell you he looked, his whole face just turned red and he didn't speak and I didn't speak. It was mm. so awkward. Yeah. And they never call, And that's the thing. They never caught me. They usually call you and say, you're due for your checkup, you're due for blah, blah, blah. They didn't follow mm. up with me or anything, nothing. And that's why I forgot that I was supposed to have a six week <laughs> checkup two years later. <laughs> <laughs> What do I know? I wasn't sleeping. I wouldn't think about that. Um, You know,
0: we tell people all the time, Pitocin does its job. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Pitocin does its job, and inductions using Pitocin as an induction method, and then like you know, like um, spontaneously going into labor, it's two different type of things. Yes um it does its yes. job <laughs> it's a yeah. powerful and I drug. Wasn't
2: even so with <laughs> um the last two he he actually tried to induce me because he said i couldn't go past 42 weeks but what's so crazy is both times now mind you my mom told me i was about six pounds my husband was around six pounds um i'm five seven he's like five ten on a good day Nobody in our family is really big except for my brothers and they have a different father than me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're both like six, four. My mom is like, we are taller, but I'm short compared to everyone else in my family. There was no way I was gonna have an eight or nine pound baby. The whole time I was pregnant with Azara, my middle child, he kept telling me every ultrasound, oh my God, this baby is so huge. She's gonna be so big. Like you have to get a deuce. You can't go to help 40 weeks. And I was like, um, I think I'm gonna not do that. I'm pretty sure my vagina will open up. So it's okay. Like it'll, it'll, it'll do what it needs to do. And so when I got to 42 weeks, because he's my doctor, he was like, I have to induce you. So they scheduled me to come in on a Friday. And I was just the nurse who was there. Thank God for nurses. In my experience, the nurses that I have met have been way better than the doctors. Um, Mm -hmm. they've just been amazing. A lot of them are moms. And so they, they just understand. And she was just like, you know the doctor put notes in here for me to induce you but i see that you don't want this potosa. she's like we'll just wait until the morning she's like not on my stuff she's like i don't even believe in that stuff so she didn't give it to me she was like just go ahead and lay the girl in the bed do what you <laughs> need to do honey she's like i'm not giving it to you and the next day in the morning when the doctor came he was pissed because he was like why haven't they started your pitosa drip i told them to blah blah and then he just amped it up and which is why i have a baby in 30 minutes um but he, my water had already broke. He wanted to break my water and do it. And both times I was like, no. But that Pitocin is like, it is just such a, it's violent. It's just a violent experience with your body. It's, it's terrible. I know that it has saved some lives and helped people like have their baby so they don't have to have C-sections. And I understand that's just like, you know, with science, it's always going to be like that. But I do think for me, my doctor had 10 C-sections a day um, when I had my middle child. And he told me to shut up and he literally kept trying to get me to get an epidural so that I could be quiet. That also can stop your labor and slow it down so that he could see his other patients. Um, and I was like, no, and I already told him that's not a part of my birth plan, but he kept on offering it to me because he just wanted me to be comfortable so that I, you know, would be one less person he had to worry about that night. And a lot of times they just try to rush you through the process because they want to get on to the next person. Mm-hmm. So, it's just it's just unfortunate, especially for people that don't have somebody at the hospital to advocate for them. The way my husband was with me, like, nah, she's not taking that, she doesn't want to stop asking her.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I do think it's important how you described that, like, if Pitocin or medicine in general that's used for a birth is not managed correctly and in respect to a person's body and what's happening. It can be a very violent it can feel like a very violent experience for sure yes absolutely yes. like there are ways to you can pause it you can turn it down you can mm-hmm, manage mm-hmm. when you're doing on that and when you're not doing that it is a shock to the body which can yes.
2: cause problems yes and I'm just grateful that you know my children were there were no health issues but even it's just like you know you think about people whose babies have died and i've had parent friends who've had ended up having to have emergency c-sections mm-hmm. and i'm like because you got they got pitocin they got so much their bodies weren't ready to give birth so then your baby's heart rate is dropping and all these crazy things are happening now you're getting cut open and sometimes it's unnecessary a lot of times it is but they get to build more for c-sections so you know they're always going to say you need one mm. That's a whole nother episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was like, he was trying to get you in the ER, in the OR, too. Like, girl. I just manage this next one onto the <laughs> OR. So, waiting on time, I could be done for my day. Like,
2: uh, that's what he told that, me. He was like, I've done 10 C sections You could, like, I could do that faster than it's taking you to push this baby out. I was like, oh. Uh-uh, unless
1: you're going to give me a, some abs you ain't cutting me up <laughs>
2: you're doing giving me a breast job and, some, and a six pack mm-hmm. doing all this stuff at once <laughs> that's exactly it's the only way I'm going to get cut open. unless I'm going to come out looking better than when I came in
1: <laughs> no luck, no luck.
2: Oh.
1: so after having this experience what was postpartum like for you? Oh,
2: well, it was different with all three children. I think anybody that has multiple children can attest to that. That like, once you've reached child two, there's no such thing as postpartum. Um, with Amira, obviously, my postpartum was amazing. I lived in Ohio at the time. My mom's five minutes around the corner. She would call me like, do you want to take a nap? And just have my baby all the time. And I had an unrealistic version of reality, I think. Um, I was 24 and you know anytime I went to go out my mom would watch the baby for me and Chia and she literally would just come over so I could take naps and it was the most amazing experience when I had Azara we literally were in LA for a year not even a full year before I found out I was pregnant with her um and my mom came and she stayed for a couple for a couple months actually so when she was there it was nice but also Amir is seven years older than Azara so that was an easier experience, believe it or not, because Amira is able to articulate her needs. She had different needs than the baby. I could take naps in the middle of the day. I was homeschooling Amira so I could kind of make the schedule. And it was just easy breezy, really. Like, you know, I rested, my husband would take the kids for me. And, you know, when the baby was asleep, I could sleep, and then I could hang out with my older daughter. And it it wasn't that bad. But then when I had this third child, oh my God. I had a baby and a two year old, one and a half year old at the time. And it was like, I cried a lot. I cried a lot because I could never sleep. How do you can't explain to a one and a half, almost two year old that like, mommy's tired. I just had a baby. They don't care. Um, and this, I see my youngest child, she's literally like so sweet, but she had the worst sleeping pattern out of all three of them to this day. She still wakes up like two to three times a night just sits up in the middle of her sleep and I like, go back to sleep. She tosses and turns. She's just not a peaceful sleeper. She's very restless um, and it's very disturbing because I'm such a light sleeper. I can hear her all the time. So I never really got to rest well um, with her pregnancy and I, I definitely suffer from a lot of sleep deprivation. I gained, I lost all my pregnancy weight and I gained like 15, 20 pounds because I wasn't sleeping at all. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating and my body and because I was breastfeeding, that doesn't make me lose weight. That makes me gain weight. Um, and so my body was changing and it was actually, I was like depressed and I was like, do I felt like, do I have postpartum depression? I don't know. or it just that I have three kids and I have sleep deprivation. I'm not sleeping, but I honestly slept like two hours a night for like a year because on top of breastfeeding her at random hours, then I just couldn't sleep at night because she wasn't sleeping. She just rolls around and she wakes up early. And even now, my mom was like, oh my God, I laid her down for a nap and she slept for 45 minutes. And that's how she, she doesn't sleep. I don't know what's wrong with that job, but she does not sleep. And so I don't sleep. So that, this last time was really, really hard on me emotionally and physically, because just the lack of sleep can really just turn you into somebody that you don't know.
0: You mentioned that you had the diastasis recti. Mm-hmm. Is this something? Did you did you do anything or notice anything for in your postpartum um, after your third baby? Like, did you take care of that, or is that something you're still healing
2: from? So I'm still healing from it now because I didn't know that it was there, and so I just went back to my workout routine that I normally do, you know, during after pregnancy. Um, and I was noticing that my body, my stomach especially, was still like protruded. And it looked like, I'm I'm just one of those people where my stomach doesn't really get big until I'm about like five or six months pregnant. Um, and I was like, I look like I'm like four months pregnant. And I don't understand why. Like, why is my stomach look like this? It's just not going down. And I'm doing all of these exercises. and I'm not seeing any difference. And my abs feel super weak. Like normally when I would do sit-ups and abs and planks and all this, I, my stomach would be sore the next day. Or next two days- it was never sore um and so it was just really frustrating for me because i um wasn't noticing um a difference in my body the way I should and so I actually was following a couple celebrities um and I was looking at their stories and I was seeing how like um Tamara Mowry, she was talking about hers and a couple other people, and I was like, do I have that? you know how you like see something on tv and you're like is that me <laughs> and i was like that looks like my stomach and that those sound like this. so then i went on google to google university and i <laughs> looked up like how to determine if you have it yourself so i lay down on my stomach and i you know, tighten my abs i stuck my fingers through there i had my husband do it i was like, That's like one or two fingers and my husband got his degree in um Exercise science. So he still like remembers a lot of stuff that has to do with the body anyways. So he likes to think that he's a doctor and he's always right anyway. So there's that. Oh. Um so I was like, Dr. Chia, can you give me <laughs> an example? <laughs> <laughs> he swears that he just be no with. Uh, um but he was like, Yes, that's about one and a half fingers wisdom <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely I feel you're and he was like, contract your ab and I'm like, I am and he was like, Oh no. <laughs> like it's <laughs> <laughs> there's a problem <laughs> I don't feel nothing
1: and you so received then, your diagnosis right <laughs> I got
2: my diagnosis from Dr. Tia um but then I started realizing a lot of the exercises I were doing I was doing you're not supposed to do when you have that issue so i now recently because it took me about a year I mean I was breastfeeding and everything um my daughter just turned two I started actually doing the real work to really close that and help in a natural way because I know there are surgeries but mine isn't that bad um, so it's bad enough but you know what I mean like well I don't think I need surgery I just need to really take the time to heal it naturally and do the exercises they're just really slow and you know it's hard to do that when you have kids but at night I've been doing it I've been laying on my back and doing them and just really focusing on my breathing and tightening my core and holding it in um and trying to heal it naturally. I, I don't think that that I shouldn't say I don't think I
0: well, yeah, I don't think that many people are aware of that being an issue um, or that something that can come up. And especially when we have sometimes our children close in age, that can be a problem that comes up, too. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I believe that we all should just automatically get pelvic floor support. and. Right overall support in healing that part of our body but again that's another episode so <laughs> right
2: no but I'm glad you said that because even with my postpartum care with my second daughter when I did have my six-week checkup and everything they weren't really checking for those things and they don't ask you or, or they're always like and for me the thing that frustrated me is they're like oh you dropped all your pregnancy weight but that's fine but how do I feel and how am I looking and you just saying, oh, this is normal and it'll go back and give yourself time. But like people, women know their bodies. So you have to be able to have that discernment as a doctor or physician, uh, you know, anybody who's working in the medical field, when you're working with women to be like, is this something that's just normal? Or is this woman is telling you like, this doesn't feel right. And I'm uncomfortable and X, Y, and Z. And those are things that, you need notes that you need to take an extra mile to be like, okay, let's do a different exam or check for other things. And maybe this isn't just an everyday situation.
1: Right. And certainly asking and providing more resources beyond that, right? Like, okay, I know that you don't do that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> don't you know someone else who does? Don't you have a big book of resources? <laughs> like, right. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, getting that referral, you know, it's like, it's simple, like, let me deal with it beyond this, but at least tell me who helps with this, right? How do I even know that? Who do I need to talk to to get this um, fixed or worked on, or just giving me the resources that help me understand what it is, right? You can't just say everything's normal.
2: No, I agree. I totally agree
1: so
0: you do have a children's book out already which mm-hmm. we love in our house oh, Thank you. um <laughs> and so excited for which what's coming next but can you talk a little bit about the beautiful me campaign and the work that mm-hmm. you're doing around that
2: yes so um beautiful beautiful me is my children's book and i came out with that i think it was 2015 2016 um when my daughter was uh, little and she just kind of was going through wanting to look like me. And I was trying to find books that celebrated all skin tones and there really weren't um, any out. There were books that were specifically for little black girls, but there weren't any that kind of, you know, celebrated an array of children. And so for me, I always tell people the things that I personally support and want to do are things that are usually specifically for women of color, but the things that I create have to be inclusive for all children because my children aren't existing in this world the same way that I am. Um, and so it was important for me to make a book that really celebrated all of them and you know all the children in my family and so that's why i created it and then from that i actually started going to schools like elementary schools and talking to children about skin tone and doing little activities with them and then it grew and i started going to middle schools and high schools and even went to colleges and so it it really changes depending on the age group that i'm with but the focus is usually and always about self-worth and love i had an event here in ohio um last year which was really dope and we had a panel and so we just talked about different things about womanhood and motherhood but when i go to the schools and work with the kids i really love it because we really just talk about like skin tone and what that means to them is self-love and just appreciation and i feel like you know if we're teaching children to love themselves first it's easier for them to love other people and find an appreciation in other people so building that self-worth at a young age. is super important to me. And just teaching children to um, be inclusive with each other. And also you can <laughs> be the seed, you know what I mean? Like these kids may never have these conversations at home, but when you have a conversation with a child, believe it or not, it like manifests itself at some point, it'll come back up, you know? And so even if I'm the only person they've ever heard say these things, I feel like it just starts the process, you know? one day it'll come back. Um so I I love that. I I love working with little kids the most, but when I do the um the other like workshops, I usually just focus on just women because I'm really passionate about working with women and I prefer working with women and I just love like anything that has to do with empowering women, especially women of color. Um, and that's why I joined moms of color, um, or I'm a co-founder of it rather me and four other women started it in um, LA because we were going to all these events and they were really just focused around white women. And we noticed they were inviting us, we were black and they were just using us as influencers. And so we were like, we're going to just have our own events for, for us. Like we're not going to go and be their tokens and then actually have events that, that really talk about things that are affecting black women. So we had one on the black maternal health care issue, which was amazing. And we've done so many dope events um, about a lot, a plethora you know, of issues that really speak to black women. And we find black celebrities and influencers and everyday women and bring them all together on a panel. And we have um, workshops and it's something that I'm really proud of. And I feel like that's some of my fondest work and my daughter gets to see it. My oldest daughter, she usually goes with me and it just makes me happy for her to see women working together women um encouraging one another and hearing these conversations so that you know as a young girl she's starting to see and understand that we're all going through these different things and how we're dealing with them so that's stuff that is really important to me yes y'all wait
0: till the outside open up again
1: okay <laughs> <laughs> just gonna be at all the events i wanted to <laughs> i mean there's that <laughs> We're gonna be in a different groove by right. <laughs> like, actually right? I'm not coming back out. <laughs> I'll see you on
0: that
2: virtual uh, uh panel. Okay. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Well that I'm actually I'm gonna be speaking on a couple of virtual panels because that's what you gotta do though at this point. It's like it's where we are in the world, you know? Yes, right. for sure.
1: I um I love that you you mentioned that. Your daughter didn't see um, black people who looked like her, right? Or children mm-hmm, of color yes. um, in the media, in things. Because when we go get a doll and we want the doll to be black, then she's brown. But she was mm-hmm. like, Or brown, she'll be brown. super black. Crayon brown, super right? Black. Yeah. Right. And then your child, because I have a child who's lighter than me, mm-hmm. and then I have kids that are all, they're all three different shades, right? So, mm-hmm. But she'd go to the store and she'd say... Oh, I want this doll. I'm like, well, that's the white doll. She's like, but that's my skin tone. I'm like, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then I'm like, well, we gotta go find one that's got the hair and the skin, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's so funny. My cousin Dolly asked the other day. She was like, "What doll do you buy your kids?" I said, "I always get them like the Spanish doll because that's who that looks. That's the one that looks like them the most. Like you know, they only have, like you said, three dolls. It's like a black doll, and she'll just be like." like the color black, you know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, Mm now all black people ain't that color. (laughs) And then they'll have a white doll and she's white with blonde hair, blue eyes, don't look like none of the white people I know. And then um, they'll have the racially ambiguous, I guess, Spanish peasing doll that she's like tan with brown hair. So Mm -hmm. that's my kids. So I just get them to tan with brown hair doll. But I also do buy them dolls uh, that are all different shades because obviously I'm dark and their dad is Asian and so I got them the little Barbie with the man bun because her dad has a man bun. So I mean, those, you know, I get them a plethora, but I intentionally buy them dolls. But that's the thing too, the stuff I just said that they're existing in this world differently than me. And even, even in my blackness, I, you know, this has been an ongoing conversation, but I don't tell my children that they're black and I know a lot of black people get upset about that, but their dad is half white and half Asian. I identify myself as a black woman, but my mom is also um blackish. Um my dad is black, but my mom, you know, she's just passing. We're just going to leave her alone, let her live <laughs> her life. But my also. <laughs> yes. she's, she's more on the Rashida Jones side of things. <laughs> Genetically, (laughs) Um, right? She's gonna kill me. Right, right.
1: We gonna have to edit this part.
2: (laughs) Either (laughs) way, I know. Either way, though, I think it's important for my daughters. I just tell them that they're multicultural because, you know, I had an epiphany. If my husband was going around telling my daughters that they were Asian, I would chop him in the neck. Like, what are you even talking about? asian like these stretch marks is on a black girl so (laughs) i feel like (laughs) i feel like it's important for me to to just celebrate all sides of them you know
0: yes 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 i think that's so important and that piece about their experiencing their blackness in a different way than you Mm -hmm. are um right that's so freaking true i don't know why that just hit me like deep in my soul just now yeah
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It is. I mean, I experience this life differently than my mom. I'm right way darker than my mom, and I have completely different hair texture than her. Features. I look just like my dad. Like my mom's nose is pointier. She has high cheekbones. Her hair is was down to her butt and just wavy, you know. And her mm-hmm. real natural hair is like a reddish color. So like she's telling all my struggles. Yes. Just try to tell me to put water on my hair. Like, girl, girl go going somewhere with that water. But now I can put water on my daughter's hair right. and it works. That ain't my story. So well, it's I so do. true.
0: <laughs> it's so true. My kids both have my husband's hair, and his hair mm-hmm. is long wavy locks, and like he can put the water on his hair and the nice creams. And I was like, I don't I have to do a whole routine. A thing. Yeah. A tangle, a twist. So I really had to then learn how to approach their hair differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. it just
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And not put your and not put your your struggles and your right. anxieties on them and right. teaching them to love themselves and love and you love yourself as well and not speaking negatively about and I also am very particular about the verbiage that I use for my daughters mm-hmm. too. Like I'm not like, oh my God, you're so lucky your hair is like this. I don't never say stuff like that to them. Right. I'm just like, oh your hair's beautiful and so is mine and you know what I mean? And like right. oh we just have to put a little bit more cream in this. You know, like Amira's hair is a little drier like mine but her hair texture is completely different. Mine's like her dad, it's weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but even with her, our hair is different, but she definitely needs to wear a silk scarf at night. And the two little ones, that girl, they has a wet and go. Like <laughs> the more product I put in there, the worse it looks actually. Right. Like I just put some air. <laughs> <laughs> what about your day, sis? <laughs> fresh air.
1: Yes. Yes. Fresh air and love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing space with us today. Is there anything else, resources, advice, anything else you want to leave listeners with?
2: I would say, you know, the most important thing I believe when you're thinking about becoming a parent, it's a conscious um, process. It should be anyway, do you know what I mean? Um, And I think that you really need to plan for a baby the way you do your investments and anything else that's really serious in your life. You need to be researching who's the best doctor, what is the best prenatal care, really researching postnatal care. You know, that's something that they don't talk about and it's super important for women. Um, Making sure that you know what kind of birth plan you wanna have, but also being open to it possibly changing because things change. Making sure that you have someone advocate for you. You could be a single mom, bring your best friend. You know, maybe your parents aren't living or you don't have a relationship with them. Bring your cousin, your auntie, somebody at your job you trust. Making sure that you create um, a community of people that can really support you through the process and someone that you can birth with that can be your advocate when you're in pain when you're going through that and you might not be able to speak up for yourself that really knows what you want and don't want i think those are things that people don't really talk to people about and people feel intimidated if they don't have this picturesque life like oh i don't you know maybe i'm birthing or even your own husband could be just not someone that you really want to birth with which happens like you know sometimes people's partners just may not that's not their calling um and being honest with your partner about that, like maybe you should wait in the waiting room and I'm not my best friend in here with me, you know? Because the thing is is you need to be selfish in those situations and people don't encourage that enough. It's about you, it's about your safety, it's about um, your mental health. And all of those things play a role in how you're parenting. If you have a horrible birthing experience and you're trying to heal from that and you have a new baby, that can affect how you parent your baby. So, you know, I think it's really important for people to to know those things and to, to really be your own advocate as well. You have to do your own research. You have to um, speak up for yourself. Even that's something I feel like I'm such a, like, outspoken person. And I always look back like, why did I let that happen? Or why did I say, you know? So don't underestimate yourself and really prepare um, for your experience. I think that's super important for everybody and your partner. And make him be as involved as possible because that's his baby too. Or her That's baby. right. However y'all had that your baby. <laughs> yes. That's
0: right. Right. That's it's right. a shared experience. For right. Or. For exactly. Or. Um, well, thank you again so much. You're welcome, lady. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.